And death is just the scariest one that we've all kind of built up. Because we love certainty. Even though certainty, spoiler alert, is a construct. Nothing is certain. Absolutely nothing is certain. Theoretically, in the next moment, you have no idea what's going to happen. This conversation with Julia DeCaniva might just be the most uncomfortable and confronting episode of this podcast yet. In this conversation, we're diving into the fear of death and dying. Why, as a society, we struggle so much with even having conversations about death. How to live more intentionally and what facing your fear of death can teach you about how you want to experience being alive. I'm going to shoot straight with all of you. This conversation is triggering. But something that I am a firm believer in is that I don't just want to be having the same conversations in my personal life that reinforce the same patterns of thinking and behavior. I want to be surrounding myself with people who offer me very different perspectives and challenge me. And one of my goals in creating this podcast is to help you stretch yourself beyond your comfort zone too. Julia DeCaniva is an ever-curious, highly sensitive, non-conformist, and lover of life. She's a UCLA-trained mindfulness facilitator and holds additional certifications in Yoga Nidra and Reiki. She is also a Gallup-certified Clifton Strengths coach and most recently a Going With Grace-trained death doula. To put it simply, Julia is a life and death coach. Her work as a coach is rooted in understanding how bio-individuality, unique strengths, and unhelpful habits of the body and mind influence our ability to navigate transitions and make changes. Julia is also a former student and client of mine, and I am so honored and extremely grateful to now call her a dear friend. This conversation with Julia was so powerful and moving for me that I wanted to release it a lot sooner. And then Julia coincidentally reminded me that November 1st, the Mexican Day of the Dead, is actually on a Wednesday. And so this episode was actually saved specifically for today so that you could celebrate the Day of the Dead with a very uncomfortable conversation about death and dying. This conversation was so deeply profound and moving for me that I actually wanted to release this episode a lot sooner. And then Julia very lovingly reminded me that the Mexican Day of the Dead is on a Wednesday. And so I've been saving this episode for you for exactly today. And so I am so honored if you're tuning in today on November 1st in celebration of what it means to be alive and in honor of all those who have passed by listening to this episode of the podcast. Before you dive in, I would love it if you could hit pause and leave us a five-star review and a written review on whatever platform you're listening on. In doing so, you help get this podcast into the ears and brains of more listeners like you. Now let's dive in and start talking nerdy. Welcome to Talk Nerdy to Me, Julia DeCaniva. I am so excited to have you on here and also a little nervous about how to have a conversation and facilitate a conversation that most people do not want to be having. And to be completely honest, that most people don't want to be listening to because it could be really sad or it could be really scary. 
I'm so excited to share with listeners what you've learned through your own contemplations around mortality and also your experience as a death doula. So thank you so, so much for being willing to come on here and talk nerdy to me. In my mind, a great place to start is like congrats to any of the listeners who actually showed up, who didn't, you know, skip over this episode. (laughs) Whoever said, yes, let's do this. Let's see what this is like, which is a testament to you, who mutually are someone who I love to have hard conversations with. So I think hopefully this can be the invitation for them to, you know, maybe it's not as scary. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't even have to be sad for that matter or any of the things that our brain maybe tells us is going to be part of a conversation about death and dying. I think that is immediately shocking for me to hear that it doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be sad. And before we dive into that piece even more, because I think it's an important one and one that I personally want to learn more from you about, I also want to give listeners a little context. What has your own experience been both professionally in your work as a death doula? What even is a death doula? And also personally, what has led you to this exploration of death, dying, and what a meaningful life entails? Well, I will say that until really 2018, I was definitely don't want to think about death. I didn't even like to think about outer space because then that brings you down the rabbit hole of like what happens at the end of outer space. Is there and then a lot of anxiety around that? But I do remember in 2012, I worked retail and one of the customers I was helping was looking for clothing for work. And she was like, not totally going into where she works because I was trying to get a sense of the vibe and what would be suitable. She's finally said, oh, I'm a mortician. And the first thing I said was, oh, that's so interesting. I've always been interested in that. And I remember thinking to myself, have I? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I guess I kind of have. But it was more just in the background because I didn't really feel like I was allowed to be curious about or interested in death. So to bring it back to 2018, I was 29 years old and I was diagnosed with cancer just three months after my mother-in-law died. And having that kind of back-to-back just mortality, I, I would say slaps you in the face, but I've been using the term slaps you in the heart because it's more than just a wake-up call. It's like an embodied feeling of like, oh, got it. I've been pretending that the future is very much laid out ahead of me. I'm young. Everybody talks about when they retire, you have to save for retirement, all of those things. And really, for me, slowing down at the time of my cancer surgery at the end of 2018 was really when it settled in my kind of exploration and curiosity about and the realization that mortality was something I really needed to face. 
And also that it was going to be very much worth facing in service of the life that I wanted. Because the life that I thought I was going to have took a complete turn. And I was like, okay, here we are. Just, you know, staring down the lovely face of mortality, as I'll call it now. Tupo would be like the scary face of death. I'm like, no, actually, it's really more an invitation. So ever since then, I've just been actually going down the rabbit holes and following my curiosities and reading books and listening to podcasts. And every day, I think I realize how much knowing that my time as a human being on this earth is finite really, really helps me clarify what I want to be spending my time on and why I'm spending my time on it and all of those beautiful, just like the sparkly bits of life, really, leaning into joy. I'm super curious what you found in that space of what is actually important to you personally. Oh, well, the beauty of it, too, is that it's different for everybody. And actually, back in 2015, before this kind of mortality wake up, I started working as a professional home organizer, also done digital organizing. And all of that, like decluttering really is the same. (laughs) A lot of people have heard about Swedish death cleaning recently because there was a TV show about it and that's really decluttering in service of the idea that you know you will eventually die and that you don't want to pass your belongings on as a burden to people so in my world i'm not a minimalist like i own things i own belongings but when something feels like it doesn't hold a real purpose If it doesn't bring me joy, bring some color, have a function, then it's out. No questions asked. And really the same goes for people, places. I think a really beautiful invitation for this is, am I really enjoying this right now? Let's say you're out at dinner, out at a concert. I've gone through that question in places where I've been a million times before and I was like oh I actually don't like this I didn't like that we had to find parking I didn't like that we had to pay a lot for parking I didn't like that we went out later in the day I don't like how loud it is I can't eat a lot of the food and yet you're like oh I'm going out with friends it seems like something like a no-brainer and I think that brings me back to the finding stillness Because I think I spent pretty much the first 30 years of my life not genuinely understanding what I wanted, liked, needed, or even had any concept of what things felt like in my body. Just being fully in my body. If if you said that to me 10 years ago, I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I work out. Too squishy. Now I... The stillness, I can really feel it. It's like this mindfulness of what is it like in this moment to be me, to be in this body, in this moment. And 
that can get really scary for people because when you have 30 years of things you've been running away from, including a fear of death, when you get still, it's probably going to come rushing in. Maybe not all at once, but eventually you're going to come face to face with it. And so people just avoid being still. And yeah, I think what matters to me a lot in my life now is finding stillness, is like continuing to find and cultivate quiet and stillness and listening to myself and sometimes asking my brain to step aside for a little bit so I can just be for a while. And that has been a really beautiful way for me to access, especially in a fear of dying. Because there's a misconception, I think, about death care workers that they're not afraid of dying. Maybe some people are not. But you also asked in that question, what even is a death doula? And the very simple answer is any non-medical support at end of life. So this really looks super different for every death doula. This can be rituals. It can be legacy projects. It can be helping with chores around the house and running errands. It can be helping with the comfort care kind of alongside hospice or palliative care. It can be alleviating the caretakers for an hour or two while they go shower and sleep and tend to their own life. It can be helping with end-of-life planning. It can be paperwork, non-legal documents, or helping people understand what legal documents they even need and what <laughs> the heck they even need to do to get them. So yeah, there's this really beautiful broad range of support and everyone kind of finds their own niche. And it really is sort of a, in the death doula community, we speak about it a lot as a reclamation of practices that our ancestors did for one another when we lived in villages together and when we, yeah, just provided this kind of support. It's a knowing that we all have, but that we've really separated from. There are so many pearls of wisdom in what you just shared and a few things that I want to circle back to. The first is this idea of a Swedish death cleaner, because that's something that I've personally never heard of before, but I'm having a huge awakening moment right now. I think I am one. Like that might actually be my calling. And where that comes from for me is that very early on in my childhood, basically between the time that I was 10 until I was 13, I experienced a series of deaths in my immediate family and my peripheral family. One of those deaths was that of my grandfather. And he was a hoarder, like could have been on the TV show Hoarders. And every day after school and every day during the summer for three years, I would go over to his house and watch my mom, my grandmother, and my aunt cleaning it out room by room. Like we're talking floor to ceiling stacks of newspapers, 
He was a cat hoarder. He had like 13 cats or something. It was just it was just a mess. And the way that that impacted me in my childhood and adulthood still is that I am extremely minimalistic. As you know, I've been traveling for about a year and a half now. So I live out of two suitcases. This is pretty much everything I own. This was also pretty much everything that I owned before I started traveling around the world. And basically every boyfriend that I've had in my adult life, I am that crazy girlfriend that goes through his closet and like one by one holds up a shirt and is like, do you need this? Do you not need this? Can this stay? Can this go? Are you sure you really want to keep this? Because I have had such a fear around when the people in my life that I love die, I'm going to be the one that's responsible for taking care of all of their stuff for them. And this is something that I'm on my brother, my sister about, both of my parents, everybody. I'm like, get rid of your shit because I do not want to be taking care of it after you're gone. The series of losses that I experienced earlier on in my life also had a different impact on me as well, which is that my fear of loss, my fear of death originally was not really self-centered. It was more about the fear of losing the people that I loved and how that manifested for me in my teenage years and in my early adulthood was that I had a really hard time establishing boundaries, expressing my emotions, I was extremely codependent. I was anxiously attached. I couldn't get off of the phone with someone that I cared about without saying I love you. I also didn't give myself permission to be mad at anyone, angry at anybody, because what if that was the last time that I saw them? Or what if that was the last time that I talked to them? And then and then I would have been angry in our last interaction. And I just felt so fundamentally not okay with that. So a lot of the work that I've had to do with Dr. Bepko, world's greatest therapist. If you haven't listened to his episode of the podcast, now is a really good time to do that. Um, A lot of the work that I've had to do with him has been about establishing boundaries, being okay with uncomfortable emotions, being okay expressing uncomfortable emotions, and not letting my fear of the people that I love dying get in the way of me being able to have healthy relationships being able to let go of the people in my life that I care about and love, but who are not actually healthy for me to be around. And now, since working through all of that, the next evolution of my fear of death has been a fear of, well, what happens next for me? Like, Is it just lights out after we go? Is there something better than this? A lot of contemplations around that. So this is really the first time in my own life, the past few years, that I've really been confronting the fear of my own death and the reality that my life is going to, in fact, end. Something that you had mentioned is stillness and a mindfulness practice. And that has been so fundamental for me as well in terms of confronting my own fears. You know, when I was in school doing research, The one piece of research that I found to be the most profound in terms of mindfulness-based practices is that they actually work very similarly to exposure and response prevention therapy. Except when you're undergoing exposure and response prevention therapy, which is a therapeutic technique to overcome fear and anxiety-based disorders like OCD, agoraphobia, those kinds of things, 
you're systematically exposing yourself to the things that you're afraid of. And mindfulness practices, specifically mindfulness-based meditation, works in pretty much the same way. The only difference is that you don't get to choose the fears or the intensity of the fear that you are systematically exposing yourself to. When you're in a mindfulness-based practice, it's kind of like whatever your brain is throwing at you is what you're being exposed to. And the practice of mindfulness is a huge practice of detachment and non-reactivity. So the willingness to bear witness to the fear as it arises without engaging in it or perpetuating it and in doing so start to neutralize your body's trigger response to that fear. So I love that you brought up the mindfulness practice because I think it's such a core component of working through any sort of fear-based response or reaction. I'm curious if you can speak a little bit more to why conversations around death and dying don't have to be sad or scary because those are definitely the two things that come to mind first for me when I think about having these conversations. And I also know that it's why so many people avoid conversations like this, like the plague. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a story that our brains tell us that we've actually really been fed through media, society, probably our parents, you know, consciously or unconsciously. Especially it's really been building over the last hundred years this kind of like fear of death that's not the primal survival we're not talking about the like thing that keeps you safe it's like we're, we're talking about the like conceptualized we're in our heads about it kind of death and the reason i say it doesn't need to be scary is it might be scary it might be sad but it might not be we have this expectation going into conversations that those are prerequisites. And most people, I mean, I certainly don't like to feel fear or sadness. I've, that's been my work in my own therapy and everything. And But just opening up the opportunity for connection there and community and feeling support and feeling seen and feeling heard in a space where you can actually verbalize I'm really afraid of dying. And then everyone else is like, I'm really afraid of dying because still I haven't met anyone that was like, I'm not afraid of dying. Some people will have a caveat and say, I'm not afraid of the physical act of dying. But there's really, everybody has their flavor. And sometimes it can be actually really useful to alleviate the scariness by finding your flavor of what's so scary to you like what is the piece that's really hard to wrap your head around and just labeling it like we would in a mindfulness meditation if our thoughts come up we label it thoughts if we can think about our fear of death in a similar way it's like oh fomo like my fear of death isn't related to my physical body dying my fear of death is more related to Everyone I love is still going to be there and I don't get to see them. And that's unreasonably sad. It's okay that it's sad. And it's really helpful for me to understand that this FOMO, fear of death, is 
really just a projection of my brain on it's like i i guess maybe my ego is like just splattering all over it <laughs> if you can kind of watch your mind go with the stories you don't have to believe them necessarily like you don't have to get really lost in the scariness and the sadness and the more that you can touch into that over time doesn't need to be right away it's probably not even going to happen in like one day it's not going to just be like Ding, i don't have a fear of death anymore but the more you can allow a little space for that fear to be heard and held and listened to whether by you but it's great in community the more you'll be like oh hi i see you and then eventually and if you're not someone who stuffs emotions down I'm learning how to not do that. <laughs> I really respect you if you don't. But then just eventually, I think there's an invitation to feel your feelings. It really kind of just comes all the way back to it's okay to feel how you feel. And death is just the kind of like, woo, scariest one that we've all kind of built up. Because we love certainty. Even though certainty, spoiler alert, is a construct. Like, nothing is certain. Absolutely nothing is certain. Yes, there's, like, objects you can look at right now, but, like, theoretically in the next moment, you have no idea what's going to happen. Technically. Probably. It'll still be there. <laughs> My existential rabbit hole. I mean, that is really what all fears come down to, is a fear of uncertainty. I feel this so much, and I've actually, this has led me to a rabbit hole of nihilism and a lot of things about physics and the reality of, like, science. But in that, in all of that, there's a version where it could make you feel like sort of hopeless. It could make you feel upset, depressed, but paying attention to the idea that you're making space for something that's hard. The encouragement there is to find people and support that can help you navigate that because there's just nothing worse than being alone in that. And that's mortality is the thing that we all share. There are so many people interested in becoming death doulas. There are trainings popping up everywhere. And clearly, on the other side, I like to call it the bright side instead of the dark side. There's a point at which your anxiety eases. It loosens its grip. And you're like, oh, I actually have access to even more joy and more appreciation and more gratitude than I've ever felt before. That there's this like kind of sparkling side of nihilism of like nothing matters. So like do whatever you want. <laughs> Obviously we have to participate in like in our economic society if that's what we choose, but. Or you could not. You could definitely choose to live off grid and drink rainwater and grow your own food if that's what floats your boat. It's your choice. And so this sparkly, like, end of the rainbow baby is why I say that all of the conversations don't have to be sad and scary. They might include sad and scary, and they might not. It can be really 
liberating in its own way to look at and assign out like if you have prized possessions that are not legally bound in a will to write out like I want my stuffed animals to go to my niece and nephew or my best friend's kids or I want my yoga gear to go to a women's shelter so they have access to like movement you know it's just taking time to do preparations and things can actually feel really invigorating and I really don't love the word empowering but it can give you a sense of agency over this kind of like scary amorphous death is coming there can be the full human experience of sadness joy scariness fear all together you mentioned some of the reasons why people fear death so things like fear of missing out fear of uncertainty what comes next i'm curious if you can share what a few more of those fears might be yeah yeah i mean you've listed a number of them already i think all reasons, insert reason here after but, they're all valid. Those are the stories that our brains have created. And just as you were sharing earlier, where your sense of not wanting to lose anyone was so deep that you were like, if I just become a piece of them, I can hold on and they won't go anywhere. But of course, our brains just like to tell us that so that will soothe us until it doesn't work and then it's very upsetting. And I think fear of losing others, fear of the physical pain and suffering possible with death, which, spoiler alert, if you sort of die of quote-unquote old age, is usually pretty free of pain and suffering in the, in the scheme of things. And our brains do a really beautiful job of just ramping up feel-good hormones so that it just feels really good. You know, if you have that can be really helpful to learn more about the process of a natural death. And you can have a fear of and like an accidental death, like a sudden death for yourself, of course, someone else. And it really is just its own flavor of anxiety. They're all flavors of anxiety, I guess. But especially that where it's just this like, what if catastrophizing, that can be really helpful to kind of bring it around with the yeah just knowing that it's catastrophizing gives it a container so if you are catastrophizing right now and this conversation has been giving you panic attacks already i would love for us to talk a little bit more about some of the things that we can do to ease the anxiety that may be coming up around having a conversation like this or even listening to a conversation like this. Earlier on in the episode, we talked about mindfulness practices being a really helpful way to do that. And I'm curious if you can speak a little bit more to the ways in which your mindfulness-based practice has enabled you to face your own fear of death and relationship with mortality. Really, it's everything that's been the cornerstone of how I've been exploring my relationship to death and my own mortality and especially having cancer and I still have cancer there I think I'm just acutely aware of the fact that I could die a lot sooner than people think I should 
that we're entitled to a long life. And having a mindfulness practice really, really helps me stay present. I mean, of course, that's like the definition, but some of the phrases that I have used over the years just to come back are like, this is what I know. This is what I feel. This is what I see. This is what I taste, like using all of my senses. And that can actually be a really beautiful practice if you're have a panic attack earlier in the, no, not a full-blown panic attack, but if it caused some stirring in you earlier in the episode where it's like, we don't know anything, but we do know now and we know what we can see and we know what we can taste and we know what we can smell. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed by a death anxiety, you can take a minute 10 minutes, just like look around you, notice the quality of light, notice your feet on the ground, notice your hands in your lap. All of those really simple mindfulness invitations can really be a refuge from the anxiety because it, I don't want it to become a distraction. I don't think it's necessarily healthy to just always immediately jump to mindfulness and not confront the scary thing but it can also soften that practice the more that you kind of turn and look at your fear of death the more it gives you space and that's what it's done for me I meditate every morning and I love other types of mindfulness it's just like when you walk through a doorway notice you're walking through the doorway that kind of simple invitation can help life as a human being feel a little less overwhelming and also really get you in touch with your nervous system. I mean, that's been the biggest gift of mindfulness meditation is like, oh, I didn't even think much about my vagus nerve or fight, flight, freeze or anything. And that's like a whole other rabbit hole invitation but it's just like oh there's like real wellness in that stillness and as someone with cancer wellness is like my number one there's no life without health so if I can make decisions in my life that support my health I'm also making decisions even somewhat unconsciously because I know I'm going to die. It's like a gift that my inevitable death has given me is this like, oh, well, if I don't get to do this forever, can I do like really do it well? All overachievers temper your excitement. There's no perfect way to live your life, but can you kind of live fully? I love this. And one of the values of my own meditation practice has been reconnecting me with the safety and the beauty of this moment, because there are so many elements of life that we miss when our minds are constantly going, going, going. As you mentioned, the beautiful quality of the light or the sounds that we hear or the smiles on the faces of the people who are around us. So aside from a mindfulness practice, something that you mentioned that can be helpful is educating ourselves more. 
And I'm curious if you can give some suggestions for where we can begin. The best first step is to understand how do you like to consume information? You're currently listening to a podcast, so maybe a podcast is a good thing. Or maybe you're like, no, podcasts are my sacred. I'm up for a walk. I'm cooking space. And that seems a little scary. So maybe check out a book, audio book, read a physical book. There's deaf cafes all over the world. There are other offshoots of deaf cafes that people hold. There are really wonderful groups that hold grief spaces. So if a lot of this fear of death revolves around grief, which of course it kind of does in every different flavor, but there's a specific death in your life that you're grieving. All of that to say is find the channel that you'd be the most interested in and there's already a resource that exists there. So there's technical books, there's novels, there are nonfiction historical books. So many resources have come out in the last few years even because people are really saying, oh, we need this. There's even a card game called the Death Deck, which I both love and want to give the disclaimer that it definitely has a sort of heteronormative spin. So I just want people to be clear that going into it, uh, it may or may not feel like it has enough space for the way that your life might look. But the questions are still really beautiful if you can get over some of the kind of like grammar vibes. And it can be a really beautiful place to start with friends, family ask each other questions. Sometimes I'll just take a card out on a call with a friend or a call with a client and we'll just talk about it. Just really open it up. And and that can be so nice because sometimes the questions are like, what do you think about bucket lists and do you have one? So like, that's not a particularly scary question. It doesn't even have to be a sad answer. You know, I think that's where the sad and scary comes back. So Wait, this sounds amazing. Can we pull a card right now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. This is like the tarot card reading of uncomfortable conversations. There's a couple of different types of cards, and it, they give you instructions to play it as a genuine game too, but I just like to pull the cards as they are. But there are some that are open-ended, and there are some that are multiple choice. So that can also be a little more accessible if you were like, short answer on the test gives you anxiety, but multiple choice is better or vice versa. Can we do one of both? Yeah, totally. Okay, amazing. Okay, so let's see. Fold. Okay, this isn't interesting. So we'll do the multiple choice first. If a drug were created to provide immortality, would you take it? A, totally, who wouldn't want to live forever? B, nope, one lifetime is plenty. C, maybe if I could lock in at my most attractive age. That is actually a really good question. I think my answer would definitely be B. I think part of what makes life so precious is that it does end. You know, I'm in Bali right now, and there are a lot of biohackers that are talking about extending their lives for another hundred years. So like the human capacity to live until they're 200. And I can't help but think to myself, for what? What would you get out of 
another hundred years. And yeah, I think the fact that it is finite, that it is limited is what makes it so special and so precious. That wasn't actually multiple choice. That ended up being more like long answer. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's great. But that's the whole point of the deck is to get you thinking and yeah. I I also say be I think one lifetime is plenty. If we had asked this 10 years ago, I would have said A because it was just a way to avoid having to face my anxiety about death. Like the reality of living forever actually scares me a lot more than just having a finite life now. And I would have said the complete opposite previously. Being a human is a lot of work and um yeah, one one is fine. One is great. <laughs> one is good. I too don't know what happens after and I I can't even pretend to know what tomorrow's actually going to look like. I know what I have intended on my calendar, but much less like what happens to after I die? I have no idea. And over the years of sitting with that, it feels welcome. I'm like, oh no, that's such a relief. Kind of funny how that that shifts. So the second question, the title is DIY, and it's, if you could plan your own celebration of life party, where would it take place and what would be the theme? Oh, okay. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is a big, joyful celebration, like color, music, really good food, actually, ideally Mexican food. So the thing that comes to mind is like Mexican Day of the Dead, I think in part because it seems like such a beautiful way to celebrate, but also it just sounds like a lot of fun. And of course, Mexican food is so good. But when I think about it a little bit more, the deeper desire would be to actually set the people that I love up with a lot of support in their grieving process. So the vision that I have is to almost send everybody out on a retreat and have them be somewhere where there's space and there's quiet for them to process everything that they're going through, but also community and and guides. So like therapists, coaches, healers, body workers, like everything that they would need in order to process the huge loss that I would be. So I think that is actually what I see is, you know, being able to deeply nourish and support the people that I love after I'm gone. What about you? It'd be such a beautiful gift, though. And so much of the preparations that we do ahead of our own deaths are a gift to everyone in our life. If it helps to frame it that way, I've found that to be really, really true, especially as a pro home organizer, helping people organize after a death. It really is in service of your loved ones, friends, family, chosen family, like everybody. And I also want to point out that I think your inclination to say Day of the Dead is because it's one of the ways in the U.S. where we've been able to witness like such a public community support celebration of honoring of 
the dead, like ancestors, and doing it all together. So it doesn't surprise me that you're like, I want some of that feeling. And of course, Mexican food, because it's absolutely delicious. But it feels celebratory instead of the funeral home that smells a little bit like embalming fluid. And you're like, am I supposed to touch anything? Can I even look at anybody? Like, it lacks a lot of joy. I really feel that as a response. And I'll keep my DIY plan short. But I think my first inclination would be to have everyone gather in the woods of Oregon because it's so green and it's so lush and it's so verdant and full of life just to be there. I mean, I really like your idea where they have actual grief support. That sounds really brilliant. But yeah, I think I'd want people to go to a forest and just be in nature, untouched nature. I mean, as untouched as nature is now, but still. This is the oracle of confronting death conversations. I've been thinking about making an oracle deck that's death related because I'm like, y'all, I would use it. I would use it too. I think you definitely should. I would buy one. And these questions weren't actually as scary as I was anticipating. It was actually quite calming and brought me a lot of peace of mind to answer them. Well, it's because you got to answer it. It's your wisdom coming through instead of coming to you. Well, I so appreciate you sharing that with me and with listeners, Julia. And I wanted to ask if there was wisdom coming through you specifically that you wanted to share with listeners today. If there is something you wanted to leave them with, what would it be? If I can impart one, just really emphasize one thing today is the opportunity to live such a really beautiful, rich life when you face mortality. To live fully is in part because you will die, because life only exists because you will die. The concept of a life also exists only because you will die. So just really be curious Follow your curiosity and stay open to the idea that it could actually be really beautiful and really magical and really supportive in a way that we've been told over the years probably won't be the case. But actually, spoiler alert, it is. So lot of spoilers in this episode. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with listeners and with me, Julia. If Somebody wanted to learn more from you or about you, where should they go? Anything that you share is going to be listed in the show notes. Yeah. So I feel like I have a million <laughs> endeavors going all the time. The most solid place you can find me is on my website, julia.coach. And also you can find me flitting around Instagram at life.coach.julia, which also includes death <laughs> since they're all in one so those are great places to find me thank you so much julia thank you for your time and your wisdom your expertise and your willingness to come on here and have a really uncomfortable conversation with me you're probably one of my favorite people to have uncomfortable conversations with 
Thank you so much for inviting me to have this conversation. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and it just was really heartwarming and life-affirming. If you loved this episode, help us get it into the ears and brains of more listeners like you by sharing it on social media. When you share on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Alex underscore Nashton. Instagram is also the best place to send me your questions about the episode material and make requests for future topics and guests. New episodes of Talk Nerdy to Me drop every single Wednesday. When you hit subscribe, you'll be notified of new releases so you never have to miss one. Last but not least, this podcast baby would not be possible without Adam Russell. Adam, I am so grateful to have had your support in creating this podcast. Thank you for always being willing to talk nerdy to me.